Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Go from dragging yourself to work each day to finding a job you love. The Career Spring program is for high achieving and ambitious mid level professionals like you who are looking for a job that uses your zone of genius, recognizes your value, and pays you what you're worth. If you're ready to learn more, schedule a complimentary consult using the link to my calendar in the show notes. Be sure to follow me on Exclusive Career Coaching on Facebook. Lisa Edwards on LinkedIn and Lisa.Edwards on Instagram. Greetings. How are you doing? It's it's the end of September when this comes out. I am ready for some cooler weather. I don't know where you live. Maybe you're already getting it. I live in Florida, as does my guest today, and it's nowhere in sight. So I long, I long. We're going to be talking today about job searching with a chronic physical or mental health condition. And and I chose this, and, and actually my guest suggested this, but I, I agreed and thought it was a great idea because I have a lot of, I get a lot of questions about, there's, there's two fronts and we're going to be talking about both of them. How do you take care of yourself during a job search if you have one of these conditions? And then there's also the piece about divulging this information. Should you? When should you? And so my guest today, Jane Springer, is going to help with the first part of that, how to take care of yourself. And I'm going to talk a little bit about what the kind of laws are, the regulations are around when and if to divulge the information. So Jane, I want to thank you for being a guest again today. Thank you, Lisa. It's such a pleasure to be here again. If those of you who have been faithful listeners, Jane has been a guest, I don't know how many times, probably four or five other times, going way back on the podcast. She's actually a really good friend of mine, lives here in Tallahassee, and she's a life coach. And so, Jane, I know you've introduced yourself on the podcast before, but for those who maybe haven't heard that or, or new stuff, why don't you uh, tell them about you? Okay, I'd be glad to. So I'm Jane Springer. I'm a life and wellness coach. I primarily help women in midlife who are pre-diabetic to reverse the pre-diabetes, lose weight, and regain their health. And on this topic that we're having today, I also have some other chronic conditions that I've had to deal with in my lifetime. So I'm looking forward to having this discussion. Well, why don't we start with that? Why don't we start with a little bit about your journey and and some of the health issues and maybe how that has shown up for you during times of stress, which I think we can all agree a job yeah. search is one of those times of stress. Oh, definitely. Yes. Well, I'll have to go back to a few years. Okay. So when I was in my 30s, I came down with a case of mononucleosis, which is unusual for an adult. Usually it's teenagers. but a very bad case, and I was out of work for two months. And when I went back, of course, I was, I was, you know, tired all the time, and they let me come back part-time to begin with. But then I went back full-time, you know, I had a young daughter to take care of, and I was working full-time. 
but it was taking its toll. I had to find accommodations for myself without really divulging to them the long-term aspects of, of this condition because the doctors, what, what happened was two years after I got the mono, it came back again, which is another thing that's highly unusual. And at that time, they, the it, literature first came out with the possibility that this Epstein-Barr virus, which is the mononucleosis virus, can reoccur and become chronic. And so I might have been the first patient who, who was identified as that. But at any rate, I knew that this was a condition that they, there was no cure for, but I knew that I had to be very careful. I had to figure it out how I was going to work with chronic fatigue, with problems with my joints and recurrences because I had to keep my stress level down because this infection is and still is lurking around for it when I'm stressed out or when I get sick with something else this can you know materialize again so anyway the story goes that the second time I got it when I came back again I was out two months my my uh, I was a state employee at the time and they were very accommodating to me but at some point, you know, they expected me to be there full time. And so what I would do is, because of the fatigue factor, I would take a nap at lunchtime. I would close my door back when, you know, there were offices where you could close your door. And I'd put my head down for an hour or, you know, some time during the day I would take a break so I could get some rest because rest was super important. So eventually I was able to work part time. And that really helped because I was able to go home and take a nap in the afternoon after I had worked because I had most of my energy in the morning. So this has been going on with me since way back when, since the 80s. So I, it really has affected my employment, what jobs I've taken, and my decision to retire, my decision to go back to work after I retired. It, it, it has affected many aspects of my job searches and my employment. So I feel like I'm, I'm a pretty good example of how to navigate, how to navigate a long-term chronic condition that can affect your, your job. So clearly we're, we're not talking about, you know, it takes me a little bit longer to get over a cold or even even a cancer diagnosis we're not that's not a chronic physical and mental health condition or mental health condition and you've talked about Epstein Barr what are some of those other chronic uh, physical and, and mental if you know them conditions that uh, the listeners might be struggling with and may not have thought of them as being you know something that could impact their job search Right. Okay. So along the lines of the chronic fatigue syndrome is fibromyalgia, where you have pain off and on all the time and it flares up just like chronic fatigue syndrome does. You could also have an autoimmune condition such as lupus or MS, multiple sclerosis, where there are times when you can't work. There are times where you need to take time off and, and also you know, in terms of mental conditions, you know, you could have chronic depression that, that you are working on, of course, 
but sometimes makes it hard for you to get up and go to work. The other thing I thought of was if you have a condition such as autism, where you can work, but, you know, there are, you know, special conditions, special types of job environments where you, you, you need certain environments in order to work. So it, it could, it could, there's a range of many possible chronic long-term conditions. And as I think you guys can pick up on already, some of these are obvious red flags. Let's say your, your chronic physical condition requires you to be in a wheelchair. That's going to be visible to a prospective employer and you're going to probably need accommodations both in the interview process and in the job search. Others, specifically mental health, you know, Jane mentioned depression. There's also bipolar disorder. There is borderline personality disorder. And then, of course, autism has such a huge range. You may or may not need uh, accommodations for that. But, but we're talking about how, first of all, how to take care of yourself during this process. So based on the experiences that you've had, Jane, what are, what are some of those kinds of things that people need to do and can do to take care of themselves during a job search if they have one of these conditions? I would say, first of all, that to identify within yourself, what do you need in order to feel good? In order to, what do you need? What conditions do you need in order to operate at your most effective and efficient self? Okay. So for me, I knew that I needed rest. And actually, that could go across the board. If you are pushing yourself and pushing yourself with any of these conditions, that could, the, the circumstances could make you run off the rails in terms of your health and well-being. So my, my first suggestion would be to make sure you're getting enough rest. You know, if you need to take a time out, you take a time out. If you need to go to bed earlier instead of staying up and watching Netflix, then, you know, you need to do that in order to function the, the, the next day. So getting enough rest, getting enough sleep, not pushing yourself past the point where you know that you have crossed over the line in terms of your energy level. So that would be my number one for any of these conditions that when you feel like you need to stop, then you need to stop. Um, and that's true for not just, we're talking specifically about the job search today, but really ongoing with your condition, whatever it is, is kind of not denying what your body needs, not pushing past and thinking, I, I suspect especially women tend to think that it's a noble thing. We've got this big project due, you know, this is after you get the job, of course, or it could be during an interview. There's this day-long interview and you know, you know in your heart that you're going to be miserable in the afternoon. Let's say from three o'clock on, you're, you just know that you can't perform. But instead of asking the question, asking for an accommodation, you try to soldier on thinking it's a noble thing. And then you've perhaps cut yourself out of the job because the last thing they're left with is you 
<laughs> barely standing up, right? So it's it has to start with you knowing yourself and and being true to what you know your limitations are and not thinking it's a noble thing to try to push past that. Right. And, you know, your inclination is to say, just, I can go a little bit longer. You know, I want to make a good impression. I don't want them to think that I'm, you know, impaired in some way. But generally, that can, back, you know, like backfire. Absolutely. So what, what are some other steps that candidates can take to make sure they're taking care of themselves during a job search? My number two thing would be fuel in terms of food. What are you putting in your body to give you the most energy and your best health? So my suggestion would be eliminate processed foods, foods with sugar, because those not only, you know, raise your blood sugar, and that's kind of my area of expertise, because I did find out at a later time I was pre-diabetic, but raising your blood sugar will give you a quick dopamine hit in your brain, and then your energy will crash. So what you want are, as, as much as possible, whole foods, not too many, you know, starchy things, but, but generally... Whole foods and hold the process, hold the processed foods and the sugar because we want to maintain the most energy as possible, the best circumstances for your brain. Mm-hmm. But also you want to be able to sleep properly. You, you know, all those things will work together to overall make you have the best health and be able to put your best foot forward on your job or in your job search. And it could also be that you have a condition. I I tend, as you know, tend to deal with gastric issues. And so it could be a really good food, but it's not an advised food for my, my system. And so when you think about a job search, particularly when you get to the point where you're in person, I know that many of the initial rounds are going to be via Zoom or Teams or something. But once you get on on site, they may have you, they may feed you lunch, breakfast, lunch, dinner. I've been on interviews where I've had all three meals with people. And it can be real easy to either kind of ignore, you know, that's a food that <laughs> doesn't, I'm not going to be in good shape after I eat that food. Or, you know, you're you're limited maybe because of what is available to you at that restaurant or on that spread for breakfast. And so, you know, how, how can you keep your mind on, you know, these are the foods that not only are going to fuel, but they're, they're, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to have a negative reaction from eating certain things. How can you stay on, if you will, on protocol when you're kind of not in control of, of what's being offered to you? Well, I've become quite an expert at this because. <laughs> yes, you have. I've gone to buffets before at various events. And what you do over time is learn to pick and choose. And that's a, that's an experiment. And, you know, you'll, you can experiment at home with what foods make you feel good. What foods give you energy? What foods make you sleepy because you want to avoid that? So. You know, I would avoid, you know, like the starchy things like biscuits and bread and, you know, those kinds of things that will 
raise your blood sugar, but also make you sleepy. So I think it's a matter of learning what foods, you know, what foods energize you and what foods bring you down or slow you down. So what I recommend is to experiment. And also there's some of these foods that are inflammatory and which are very detrimental to chronic conditions because you don't want any more inflammation going on in your body, which will exacerbate whatever the, the, the issue is. So mm-hmm. what you have to do is learn to pick and choose. And when people try and, you know, say, don't you want some dessert? You know, you can always say, you know, gosh, I'm so full right now. Can I take it home with me? Or, you know, I don't think I'm going to have, I'm really full and it was really delicious, but you can be very, or you can just say, no, thank you, because that works too. And, you know, I've just learned to do what I need to do in order to feel good. You just keep that in mind. Uh, I, I know what keeps my body healthy and operating at a hundred percent. So I think, yeah, I think that's my advice right there. Yeah, so it really gets back to that not denying what I talked about with your your energy levels. The same thing with your foods. If you know that something is going to, let's just let's paint it with a broad brushstroke, make it difficult for you to stay in the room after you eat it. Yeah. Then don't eat it, right? Like don't you know, don't don't feel pressured. Don't ignore what you know to be true about yourself. All right, so that's two. We have two steps mm-hmm. so far. What's another step candidates can take to take care of themselves during this job search? Okay, my my third recommendation would be movement of some sort. Okay, so when I was recovering, and what I have learned over the years and with a chronic condition is to pace myself. So when I was recovering, it would be five minutes of walking or 10 minutes of walking, and I would gently work up. But when I got to the point where I knew, and this is experimental, you have to kind of feel feel your way through it, but know that you've gone as far as you need to go and then stop. But, okay, let's say you're in a wheelchair. There's still things you can do in a wheelchair that's mm-hmm. moved, you know, your arms, you know, some can move your legs, but being, first of all, outside as much as you can. And sometimes it's difficult in some some climates, but the sun, you know, just being the fresh air, it, walking is really the, the the easiest and really most beneficial. You're not pushing yourself too hard, but you are moving. And even if you can't go outside when it's cold, which is what I do, I record shows on TV and I do steps in front of the TV or I sit in my chair and I move my arms. I mean, there. but the, the more you get your circulation going, the more you get outside can really help with depression and fatigue, much as it seems counterintuitive, that it really will help with feeling better. So I would say movement of some sort. Well, and you can certainly do that during the interview. So most interviews, they're going to give you some periods for, you know, bathroom breaks, check your email, whatever it may be, or the the interviewer may need a break to do those same things. And during that time, depending on the the setup, the geography that you're dealing with, how about stepping outside and taking a quick walk? I remember 
going to a conference one time in San Diego. We were at, I, I think University of San Diego, but I'm not sure what's, what university we were at, but it was beautiful. And I could see the Pacific Ocean. And I was fascinated by how many people, like we would have a time that we were supposed to write and journal and come up with ideas based on what we had just learned in the group session. And I would immediately head out the door. I would sit on the side. There was a, a, a big fountain right outside the meeting room, and it gave me a view of the Pacific Ocean. And I would sit there and do whatever they needed me to do, whatever the, the assignment was. Mm-hmm. And I got the fresh air. I got a little bit of a walk. I got some sunshine. I got a gorgeous view. I got the breeze. And, and it really kept me going for the day. So just that little bit of, of stretching your legs and getting some oxygen going could really help during the interview. And that you don't have to have a chronic condition for that to be a good idea. Not at all. I mean, I think it's actually a great idea. You know, there have been times where I've been at a conference or something where I would go outside and if I, even if I didn't know the environment, which sometimes in those conferences you don't, but I would just walk around and around in a circle yeah, uh, in the parking lot if I needed to or on the sidewalk, but just to just to get uh, oxygen going, your blood pumping, a change of scenery, some fresh air, if at all possible. And if that's not possible to go outside, I do it inside. And I mean, they at some point have thought I was a little crazy in my job because if it, it's hot in Florida and in, well, in summertime. And so I would, within a state office building, I would go up and down the stairs. I would walk through people's, you know, area, work areas. And they'd say, oh, there she goes, you know, and, but I would make a point during the day to move. It just makes your brain work better. I well, yeah. And I think, I think hopefully what you guys are hearing is that these ways of taking care of yourself, if you have a chronic physical or mental condition, are also the ways that you should take care of yourself if you don't have a chronic, Absolutely. and maybe it might keep you from getting a chronic physical or mental health condition. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have another suggestion for us? Well, yes, I have. And this is really important. And this is how you speak to yourself. You know, your own, oh, yes. mind, your own mind talk. Okay. So if you are saying to yourself, for me, I've, you know, I've got chronic fatigue syndrome. I, you know, I can't function like other people. And all, you know, if you're talking to yourself in those terms, then naturally, the result of that, you, you're going to, you're going to have less energy. You're going to have less energy. And the result could be that how you are perceived by your boss and by the person who's interviewing you, you know, could really make a difference because people can pick up on your mindset, your mm-hmm. energy, the way you present yourself. A better way of looking at it is, you know, to talk about you know, your assets, you know, like what, what areas you're strong in, you know, like what I had to do at the beginning when I found out that it was going to be a chronic condition, I just said, I can figure this out. I can figure out how I'm going to take care of my daughter as a single parent. I can figure out how to get rest during the day. I can figure this out and all things are possible. So with a mindset of positivity and encouragement to yourself and, you know, you know, there'll be times where, you know, you're going to think to yourself, I wish I didn't have this. I wish I was normal like other people. 
and I didn't have to I didn't have to make these special circumstances for myself but uh, you know in those kind of times you there are little you know ways you can kind of boost yourself up you don't have to go to I'm amazing and healthy and strong telling yourself that because your your brain really needs to believe it but you are resourceful you're smart you're inventive you are there are all kinds of you know, ways you can speak to yourself that is encouraging versus discouraging. Oh, that self-talk is so important. And <laughs> what you make this mean, are you are you making it mean that you are less than or are you making it mean that you just have to approach things differently and use, again, that creativity and that intelligence to to solve for whatever your condition may be? Any other suggestions for before we move on to my next question I'm curious about? No, I think that's got Okay, perfect. So we've got four and we're going to go over those again at the end. So let's talk for a minute about some of the red flags that people with chronic physical or mental health conditions should avoid in terms of job duties, conditions. So in other words, you know, as they're looking at positions and maybe in, in the interview process, maybe the questions they might ask to make sure that the work environment, both physical environment and, and kind of a mental, social work environment would facilitate their success? What I would look for in terms of if you have a chronic condition is, first of all, what are your hours expected to be? And if they, the red flag might be, well, you know, they, there might be some overtime. Like you might, you know, you'll be on call some nights from this time, you know, like sometime outside of your regular work time. Do you have opportunities for a break or for lunchtime or, you know, what? If they're not being specific about your hours, that could be a red flag for someone with a chronic condition because those are the kinds of things you need to know walking in, you know, if, if you decide to take a job. And I want to be clear that you can ask those questions without divulging that you have a condition if you don't need to. And we're going to talk about when you do and when you don't need to. But you can ask those questions in a neutral way. In fact, I think it was last week's episode where I talked about red flags from employers during the job search process. And one of them is getting those, you know, <laughs> vague responses to questions or non-responses, you know, and, and then there's also the difference between what they say and what they do, because they can tell you okay. office hours are eight to five, but it's up to you to do a little sleuthing. Does everyone stay? Like, is it, you know, are you going to get side-eyed if you leave at five, you know, 50 because mm -hmm. you it said five but nobody leaves till eight right so there's the there's what's written sort of what the what the the law is if you will and then what the practice is okay go what are some other red flags well i would pay attention to what kind of questions they're asking you uh, especially if you're in a wheelchair or you know it's obvious that you have some chronic condition what kind of questions are they asking you? Are they, you know, like making some side references to, you know, what kind of, you know, what kind of uh, um, hours can you work? And, 
those kinds of things. Pay attention to, you know, I have found that the, you just need to pay attention in job interviews to their, you know, their questions and the way that they are asking the questions to, to, to just get a feel, you know, you may have a gut feeling about the way they are asking the questions that may be red flagged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about what they can ask. And basically beyond, you know, do you need any accommodation? Here's the job responsibilities. Do you need any accommodation? They can't ask you anything else that mm-hmm. they don't ask everyone else. Right. So they, they can't ask you, they can't get into your business about your wheelchair or your cane or your, I don't know, Maybe there's something physically obvious about, you know, your, maybe you have a prosthesis, you know, the mental conditions, obviously a little bit harder to, to pick up on unless you've spoke, you know, spoken about them, but certainly they can't get in your business. So I think that's a really, a really good one. Any other red flags? I know I have one I want to add if you don't bring it up. Well, just, you know, one thing I was thinking about was. If they say to you, because you're going to ask them, is this an in-person job or is this, can I work from home? Mm-hmm. Do I need to be there? Well, I need to know specifically because for my, to, you know, for my condition, going in one day a week, you know, they'll make that me okay. But five days a week, eight hours a day might be a problem for me. And is there a possibility that I could work from home? And if, if that's the case, how many days can I work from home or can I do all work from home? You know, I, I would, you know, ask them directly and specifically because if they're vague about, well, some days you may need to come in and some days you don't, that, yeah. that doesn't help somebody with a chronic condition, really. Well, and I'm finding, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, I'm finding that more and more job postings are being specific about the work from home versus in office in a way that they never were prior to COVID because now the kind of the the default, if you will, is working from home. And so, and you know, that's very attractive to most people. And so it will say, this is an in-office position or what where you get a little bit of, of vagueness is often, this is a hybrid and they don't often mm-hmm. say what the hybrid looks like. I had a client recently who told me that she went in for a hybrid interview and they told her it was four and a half days in the office every week and she could work from home on Friday afternoons. Huh? What? Big help. Big help. Great. So so the red flag that I want to add, and I don't know if you have any more. In, 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 oh, in you go ahead. Okay. So my red flag has to do with your observing the people that you would be working with in the office and then beyond that in the company. So this is, of course, assuming that you're in an in-person and most companies are having an in-person interview before the final hire decision. Are you, especially if you have a physical, so let's just go back to the wheelchair example. Do you see any other people with wheelchairs on? Do you see any accommodations being made? What do you see in terms of the work environment and its ability to be accommodated. For example, you know, just a simple one, and I don't even think this is legal, but you know, if it's a third floor office and there's no elevator, uh, I wouldn't be able to work in 
I would be like, nope, no, thank you. So really looking at that environment and seeing do, do people like me that look like me work here? And does this company seem in practice to be accommodating? That's a really good one. Yes, I agree with you. So I often get questions about when and how to divulge information about a physical or mental condition during the job search. And so I want to give you a quote from the Society for Human Resource Management's website. So this is SHRM. This is the main governing body for human resource professionals in the United States. I'm a member of my local chapter here. And so this is actually coming directly from the Americans with Disabilities Act or the ADA. So this is a little bit lengthy, but I think you need to hear it. The Americans with Disabilities Act defines disability as a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits a major life activity. Disabilities outlined by the ADA include, but it are in no way limited to, deafness, blindness, non-functioning or missing limbs, cancer, diabetes, asthma, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, arthritis, obsessive compulsive disorder, HIV, and depression. Under the ADA, employers generally can't ask disability-related questions, such as whether the applicant has a disability or what the nature or severity of the disability is, or require applicants to undergo medical examinations until after the applicant has received a conditional job offer. Once a conditional job offer has been made, the employer may ask disability-related questions or require a medical examination, and this is important, so long as all individuals who receive offers for the same job are treated similarly. This is what I talked about a moment ago. That means they must be asked the same questions or required to undergo the same medical examination. Once an individual is employed, disability-related questions and examinations, again, are prohibited except in limited circumstances. Employers may, however, ask applicants whether they can perform the essential duties of a position with or without accommodation. Federal law also permits employers to ask applicants about reasonable accommodations before a conditional offer is made if the employer reasonably believes that the applicant may need an accommodation due to an obvious or voluntarily disclosed disability or when an applicant has disclosed a need for an accommodation. So that was the quote, and here's what I want to say about this. A best practice for employers is to thoroughly describe the steps the candidate will need to go through for the job interview. And then once they're in the interview, they would want to describe in, in some detail the duties of the job. Again, we have that physical issue, right? So you, if you have a physical disability or, or a mental disability, you want to make sure that you have an in-person interview that is on site so that you can scope out that environment, as I talked about a moment ago, to see you need the information, you need the facts in order to know whether you need to disclose a disability. You could have the same disability and it needs to be disclosed in one set of circumstances for one job and not necessarily in another. So the employer, the onus is on the employer to tell you exactly what you're going to do in the interview. 
simple, simple, uh, and this has nothing to do with a disability, but I was listening to a conversation at an event on Sunday that Jane actually was at. And the young lady was talking about having worn a, a brand new pair of shoes, not very comfortable, went to an interview, and she ended up going on sales calls. It was a sales job. She she shadowed a sales professional and she walked all day and she was just in horrible pain. So obviously she didn't have a disability. But my point is, had she known, had she maybe asked the question, but the onus really was on the employer. But if you can also ask the question, can you tell me about what the interview will entail? So if they don't sort of follow the rules and tell you what the interview process is going to look like, you need to ask the question so that you can determine, number one, how can you accommodate that process? And then number two, do you need to disclose your disability in order to help them accommodate the process? Now, if you don't need accommodations to perform the job, you are under no obligation to voluntarily disclose a disability or a condition. You may choose to, but you don't have to. And my recommendation in that situation is if you choose and you want it to be before you accept the job offer, you want it to be after a bona fide job offer has been made. The issue becomes when you disclose it too early in the process and they don't have, if you think about the the scales of justice, on one side, they've got this potentially heavy thing that they now know about you. And if they don't have on the other side of the scale all kinds of great information about how wonderful an employee you're going to be, it may seem even weightier. This this disability may outweigh because they haven't had a chance to learn all the great things about you. Let's get some weight over on that qualification side before we put anything on the scale side about your disability. So, Jane, how about those self-care tips again? I think you had four of them for us. Well, let me give you an example of what you just talked about. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So when I decided to go back to work after retirement, I was interviewing in person for the job, and I knew that I needed a nap in the afternoon. I, I was you know, that, that's a requirement for me. Okay, so when we were talking, he had described everything that was involved in it, and some of it would be, I'd be able to, you know, work remotely, and, you know, some would be in person. And I decided, and at, that was, he was offering me the job, and I knew that I could do the job, but I also wanted, I decided at that point, I wanted to be honest about the, you know, what my capabilities, let's just say, my energy levels were. So I told him that I have a condition where, you know, in the latter part of the day after two o'clock, I'm not at my best. So I had this chronic fatigue thing. So, you know, working in the morning, early afternoons would work best for me. And he was fine with it because in some of these chronic conditions, you can't tell on the outside that someone has a chronic condition. You, you can't tell somebody who's as autoimmune or fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue, you know, some of these, you know, it's sometimes hard to tell. So you're, you're the employer is not necessarily going to be able to notice that. I could, I could have decided not to tell him because it sounded like the hours would be 
you know, would accommodate what I needed. But I just felt that I, you know, if I was going to do this, that I, I could be honest with him. And I mean, I've worked for him now for 13 years and they know that I'm not going to be on a call between two and four. I just, you know, like, or in the early evening because that's not my energy. And so it did help me to tell them. And I'm, I'm up front with him, you know, like if he wants to schedule something for 3 p.m., I'm like, I'm really sorry, but I don't say, you know, like that's my nap time, <laughs> but I do say, can we meet later in the afternoon? And, yeah. and he's very accommodating. So, you know, that was a, con- that was um, an example of where you decide to do it, but he had, he had offered me the job. So I, I agree. Yeah. With, yeah. Um, and. And so much better to do it that way than to take the job, not tell them, and then mm-hmm. unknowingly the boss is scheduling, a, let's say, a staff meeting. Then your condition, it, it, let's say, it's three p.m. in the afternoon, and you're frustrated. Number one, you're probably pissed about it, but you have nobody to blame but yourself. But you're pissed at the boss for doing it, even though he doesn't know. And secondly, you're not showing up as the best version of yourself in that meeting. I- and so the rest of the staff is like, what's Jane's deal? What's her problem? Right. Mm-hmm. So you, again, it's a, it's a personal call, yeah. but that's a good time to make the, to have the conversation is between the time a bona fide job offer has been made and the time you accept that offer. All right. So what are those self care tips again, real quick? Okay. So number one, I would say to take the amount of time you need to rest. You know, you're going to determine how much sleep you need in order to function at, you know, the best you can possibly be. If you need to take a rest during the day, if you need to take a break, you need to take it and not just push through Mm -hmm. thinking, oh, well, they'll think, you know, I'm a hard worker if I just work through this time or lunchtime or whatever. So take the amount of time you need to sleep and to rest because that's when you're going to be able to operate for them and for yourself at your best possible, you know, condition, your your best possible circumstance. Yes. Uh, second of all, the food and the fuel that you are giving yourself. If you're eating a bunch of junk food and a bunch of sugar, that is not going to help your own physical condition and you're not going to operate at your best on the job if you are in a sugar coma after, you know, you've drank a soda and, you know, had... Uh, whatever it is, but just be aware that, you know, eating whole foods as much as possible and keeping yourself at your top energy level is is really going to help you. And number three is movement of some sort. Get up, move around, go outside if you possibly can during the day. If you, you know, just, I would take a break at lunchtime, just, but the the process of moving will not only, you know, help your own condition, but it will also help your brain to, you know, just take a break. And sometimes, as Lisa said, you can get your best ideas when you are sitting outside or you are, have mm-hmm. changed the environment from, from where you were. And then the fourth thing was your mindset, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the way you self-talk is extremely important. The more that you can encourage yourself, the more that you can say, you know, like, I can do this. 
I'm capable, I'm smart, I'm strong, you know, like I'm, it may not be strong physically, but it's, I'm, I'm strong internally. I can figure this out. I'm moving forward. I'm the best I can be. You know, like those, that kind of self-talk is going to go way further than if you are saying, you know, poor me, you know, I've got this condition. I feel terrible. I don't think, you know, like you, you just need to help lift yourself up daily is what I would say. Love those self-care tips, Jane. So how can the listeners find you? I, as I said, I'm a life and wellness coach, so they can find me. They can email me at jane at janespringer.com. They can find me on LinkedIn, Jane Peck Springer. They can find me on, what did I say, Facebook? Yeah, Jane Peck Springer or Jane Springer. Either way, because I have a, I have a personal page and I have a professional page. So I think those are the, the easiest ways you can DM, DM me on any social media, LinkedIn, or just set, uh, shoot me an email, jane at janespringer.com. And your website is janespringer.com? Correct. And I mean, okay. as I said, you know, I do life coaching and wellness coaching. And, you know, I have had multiple chronic conditions over the year. I, I help, you know, people turn around prediabetes and diabetes and do weight loss and all kinds of things. So, you know, please feel free to reach out to me. I would love to chat with you. Excellent. Well, Jane, this has been such a good conversation, I think, for so many people. I hope that those of you that have listened that don't have chronic conditions have heard the wisdom as it relates to you as a quote-unquote normal employee. I hate that term, but you know what I mean, someone without those conditions. And if you have them, hopefully you have learned some self-care tips. And also, what does the law say about and, and what is good practice in terms of divulging that information? So I hope this has been good fodder for you to think about. And I want you to take care. That takes on a new meaning. I say it every week, but it takes a new meaning on today. Take care and I'll see you next week. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Jane. You've been listening to The Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach, so be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.